where did you develop this affinity for the recovery world? So it probably was kind of twofold. One was, um, you know, I have family that are, uh, you know, in recovery. And so seeing the the great change that can happen for their life and for those around them, you know, really drew me to that. Um, and then the other one was kind of just uh, happenstance. I worked at a, a rehab uh, for my first job outside of college and just really fell in love with the idea of being able to to see so much change and growth in, in a pretty short period of time. Um, and so that's where it really kind of said, I really want to be part of this. Well, and Bill Wilson in the 12-step book says, nothing will take a person out of themselves as much as working with someone else. Yeah, yeah. There is just something to get, of, you know, yeah, helping somebody else kind of move to an area where they didn't think they could. Uh, they always had the strength and ability inside them. They just didn't always recognize it or know how to get there. So everything that you've done in your life has put you in a position to succeed. Yeah. Everything that you've done in your life, quite far from what I tell people is, you've lived through every bad day of your life. It's true. You've lived through every single one of them. Yeah. So could you give us a little little history of Arc Manor? Yeah, so, I mean, Arc Manor has been around since 1974. Um, really started with a really small, just group of uh, grassroots folks that kind of got together and said, there's a problem in our community and we need to do something about it. Um, and then since it's just kind of grown, uh, we moved uh, in you know early mid nineties from West Catanning down to Catanning uh, to our site here. And we've been able to kind of have a residential center. Um, we do lots of outpatient uh, levels of care, including partial hospitalization, IOP. Um, we recently increased our residential capacity to 13 beds. So nice and small. So we get to really offer, you know, an individualized, uh, you know, program for folks to come through and not kind of get lost uh, in the program. So a lot of times people say, oh, I'm going to an IOP, I'm going to these things. Most people have no idea what those are. True. What type, what, let's say, what type of services do you offer here? So we do offer the partial hospitalization, which is a pretty intensive five day a week program. You know, folks are here at least three hours a, a day for groups. Um, and then they get two individual sessions a week as well. Um, so it's a lot of treatment. Um, it's for folks that really are struggling that either, um, you know, need, quite a bit of support. Um, it kind of helps prevent them having to go into a residential center or hospital. Um, it's also great for folks coming out of a residential facility to try to just transition back to that independent living, gives them enough support and structure to be able to get those skills to be able to really succeed well. And these groups involve? So they kind of have a lot of different topics. So, um, you know, relapse prevention, basic education on recovery, you know, developing a new support system. Uh, we also talk about stress and mood management, you know, how to, how to cope. Uh, and we also talk a lot about physical health needs. Uh, you know, we have a nurse navigator. Um, she's an RN who's here that runs groups and does individual appointments with folks to be able to connect them to make sure their health uh, needs are, are taken care of. Connect the mind, body, spirit. Yeah. And quite often people need help just simply with activities of daily living, yeah. writing a check, finding a place to live. Yeah. Getting enough to eat. Yeah. So we definitely connect them to case management services. You know, the Armstrong Indiana Clearing Drug and Alcohol Commission does an excellent job at, at providing all of those services to, to our folks in this area. So, you know, we use them. They have certified uh, recovery specialists to help, um, you know, make sure that they get connected to those outside resources and extra supports so that really they have the best foundation uh, for their for their recovery. Could you tell people what an IOP is? So IOP is the intensive outpatient program. So it's essentially one step below partial and one step above 
just a kind of uh, typical outpatient. So uh, for hours, it's three days a week, um, two to three hours a day of, of group on those times, and then individual sessions as well. So it's still a pretty intensive program. You know, we're talking, you know, a lot of hours that, that people have to dedicate towards treatment, um, but really learning those skills so that they can then, you know, succeed really well. Where do you evaluate where you determine someone needs a higher level of care and perhaps inpatient? Well, so that can be done, you know, initially at the uh, the intake or the assessment. So we kind of do a complete psychosocial. We have to get, you know, all this information um, about, you know, current and past situations that have experienced with them. And then we really kind of make a determination based on ASAM criteria. So, um, you know, it's kind of set up nationally of kind of what the standards are for the level of care. Um, and so we have to make sure that, that an individual fits for that level of care. Um, but then also, if they start out in outpatient or IOP and are really struggling, then at any time we can do kind of a reevaluation or reassessment to see maybe a higher level of care is necessary right now. One of the barriers to get treatment, Mike, is financial. Yeah. It definitely is uh, it's expensive and it's hard. So, you know, we're fortunate enough to be able to offer uh, services, um, you know, to folks that have, you know, insurance, whether that's uh, private insurance uh, through a couple different ones or the Medicaid, you know, private or public uh, assistance. And then also folks that maybe kind of fall in between that and don't don't qualify for either public or private insurance, then oftentimes the Drug and Alcohol Commission are, are able to kind of step in and fund, and they do a great job. Like that's kind of what they're there for is um, to be able to help those folks that just really kind of don't qualify for some other uh, funding sources. And this is what really is an obstacle for a lot of people because they don't know how to access these resources. Yeah. So, I mean, there's essentially like a no wrong door approach. So, you know, people can come here to Arc Manor, uh, call us or, or stop in. Uh, they can go to the Drug and Alcohol Commission and talk to a case manager. Um, you know, the Drug and Alcohol Commission has a great program that's in the hospital. So if people end up in the ER um, and they say, yeah, I really need some help, they're able to see a case manager or a certified recovery specialist in the hospital um, and get a referral there. So there are lots of opportunities now. It's just reaching to out. make and, things available and yeah. ask for help. So what do you say to people who say, you know, I do have a problem, however, I can't, I can't take time away from my job. Yeah. So, I mean, we try to be as flexible as possible, uh, try to meet them where they're at, you know, um, eventually it might come to a point where, you know, it's clear that, that it's not going to be working at just one day a week or, you know, whatever the, you know, the initial evaluation might say. Um, and then we kind of, you know, kind of talk about the consequences of not getting help might lead to more severe consequences. And so we don't want that. And again, there's a stigma of going inpatient. And one of the one of the misapprehensions about misconceptions that people have is I know I had it myself. I didn't believe anybody else really knew. Yeah. And they, they, that, that's a common thing. But however, the families are so, so important to be involved and educate them. Could you tell us about some of what you do? Yeah. So we, um, you know, in our residential center, we have, you know, family night where they come in, have a group, kind of get that education also so that the family knows that they're not alone. Um, and they also need some skills of how to, how to best help their loved one. Um, so we include them in that, you know, they can get uh, family sessions, whether it's inpatient or outpatient. Uh, any client of ours can get a family session with their therapist to be able to help, you know, really strengthen or, you know, kind of rebuild some of that trust that probably has been broken. Um, and then there's also a community 
uh, you know, a family support group uh, that's going on that the Drug and Alcohol Commission helps, um, you know, fund as well, um, you know, that we support, you know, as well. I think it's really important for our, our, our families and our community to know that, that there is a support group out there. So after a person leaves here, how about the extended care? How about uh, the care after care? So, I mean, usually, you know, if somebody has done through residential and then maybe partial IOP and outpatient, you know, that's a pretty long time. Um, you know, so, you know, they're encouraged to be able to connect by that point with a 12-step program or, or some kind of recovery program that works for them so that they can continue to have that support in their life. You know, they can continue to work with case management or CRS. They're able to come back at any time, kind of touch base with us, uh, get a new evaluation if something changes, even just to prevent a relapse, you know. And community education? Yes. And then we do a lot of community education as well, you know, outreach um, that we send out, you know, our, our staff to the community to try to help people know, like you said, where to access, um, you know, what kind of uh, things should people be looking for, especially parents, you know, what should they be doing? A person calls you and says, I don't know whether I need need this assistance or not. Yep. So we go through a screening, you know, the state has developed a screening tool that we use to kind of say, you know, kind of triage essentially, do they need a really high level of care to just, you know, set up a, a regular appointment for them. And then we do the assessment and that's kind of where we determine um, the fact that you're reaching out and asking for, for some help uh, or the idea of maybe needing help probably indicates there might be something, but we'll do an assessment. We'll find out. I run into many situations like this, Mike, where a parent or a wife or a husband or a brother or sister will call me and say, so-and-so really needs help. They're, they're in bad shape. How do, you, how do you deal with that person? Well, so, I mean, ultimately, you know, if the person's not interested in coming to treatment, there's not much we can do for that person until they're ready, but we can help the family. So we can offer, um, you know, individual sessions, outpatient therapy for the family. So you don't ever have to, to get the person to agree to come in here. Hopefully that happens eventually, but, um, you know, it's a struggle just on the family. This is definitely, uh, you know, a disorder that affects the entire family. Uh, and so we, we definitely encourage folks to come I in. think that's a real important point. Yeah. Quite often I'll get a call and say, can you help my daughter? Can you help my son? I'll say, well, do they have any desire to even come in? And then I'll say to them, you know what? It sounds like you're in a lot more pain here than anybody yeah. else. I can hear it in your voice. Why don't you come in and let's talk about it? Yep, I think that's our way of helping, you know, because we can't get to that person uh, that they see needs help until they're ready, but we can definitely help that person that's struggling, that family member. The family member that's struggling, they're important also. They definitely are, yeah. Um, and if they can kind of get some knowledge, some support, some help, then, then maybe there is a, a, a chance that the, their loved one can maybe notice that there's a need for change as well. So we're willing to help, you know, really anybody. That's kind of our mission is, is anybody that's affected by substance use, whether it's the individual, the family, or just our community, you know, we are kind of there to help with that. So I know that you're talking about personal wellness with the with the patients. You're talking about patient wellness with the family. Let's uh, put the mirror in front of uh, Mr. Mike and yeah. ask about that for himself. Yeah. So I try the the best that I can. It's always a work in progress though. Um, so for me, it is about being aware of kind of, you know, how am I taking care of myself? Uh, trying to get the sleep 
that I need um, is you know what I what I talk to folks about uh, trying to do that to myself. Um, for me, yoga has been a great uh, source of, of uh, just physical, but also you know mental um, exercise for me that's really been helpful. Do you take care of yourself, Mike? I try. Um, <laughs> it's difficult when there's just so much happening, but I, I try my best. You know, I, I really do try my best to, to yeah, watch what I'm eating, what am I putting into my body, how am I taking care of my body, and and really doing some self care. What's enjoyable for me? You know, I have to um, be able to have some of those hobbies or interests. You know, as well. And how do you create those boundaries? How do you avoid bringing this into your daily life? How do you? often spend most of your time trying to solve other people's problems sometimes it is about like just kind of taking a break you know and, and scheduling out saying i'm not going to come in to work this weekend uh, i'm going to take time at home i'm going to go on a trip going to go you know do something else turning off the cell phone um you know if i'm not on call then i can turn that off and know that you know somebody else is going to be able to take care of that um you know so it, it's setting those boundaries sometimes which are not easy um and you know keep coming with time so what do you say to someone out there who says, I'm not sure whether my son or daughter has a drug or alcohol problem. I'm not sure. I suspect. How do you, what do you, how do you deal with that? So I think it'd be about some education, you know, for, you know, what signs to look for, you know, kind of exploring kind of why there's some indication there um, that has gotten them to kind of say, hey, something might be might be what are some of the signs you suggest to people that they might be aware of? So big ones would be about school behavior. You know, are they going to school? Has anything changed dramatically with their grades? Um, you know, anything changed dramatically with kind of their you know peer group, uh, their mood? Um, you know, things you know coming up missing. Are they stealing? Like those are all kind of things to maybe want to look for. If there's money missing a lot, that's going to be something to kind of take and take a look for. It doesn't mean one of those. Are, are definitely an indicator, but the more that you have, the more you want to take a look at kind of something must be going on. Are they becoming reclusive? Are they becoming yeah. secretive? Yeah. Yeah. Big mood changes. Are they really angry, really sad, um, kind of erratic behavior, getting in trouble a lot more at school or in the community that maybe didn't happen. So we're looking at kind of changes, maybe gradual or pretty sudden ones. And what are the age ranges that you uh, use for your clientele here, Mike? So for adolescents, we treat usually you know twelve to eighteen year olds. Um, starting a new program for in the schools uh, and in pediatric offices, so that we can kind of reach kids you know where they're at instead of trying to get them to come here, which can be a little bit of a uh, you know difficult you know situation for them to want to come to a residential or rehab center like we have, but we can reach them you know in the schools uh, and then mostly for our outpatient it's you know a lot of uh, twenty year olds and up you know so we do pretty much all age ranges so Mike, how would a person contact Arc Manor if they even if they have a question about maybe a loved one or even themselves? Yeah, so, um, you know, our 1-800 number is kind of the, the best bet, um, you know, so it's on our webpage, um, you know, people can call in, uh, get, you know, get information, they can do the screening like I talked about, um, you know, they can kind of ask some questions about what we offer if they want something more. Our website kind of offers uh, an outline of the services that we provide as well. And that website is? arcmanor.org. arcmanor.org. Yeah. And of course, one of the things that I know you have a real mission here, and one of the things that people perhaps don't understand is it takes money to operate this. It does. It takes money. It does. 
Yeah, so we've been fortunate enough to get some help from the community. We've done some fundraisers recently. We're going to keep doing that. Um, you know, but it is pretty expensive. So uh, some of that noise that you hear in the background is renovations because we are kind of upgrading. Um, but it is expensive to run. So uh, you know, any donations you know are really um, you know really appreciated. So even just ones for the residential center, you know, uh, people that donate you know, extra food from the holidays, um, you know, that's really appreciated, uh, appreciated and, mm -hmm. and really kind of any, um, you know, we have local churches that donate um, toiletries for our residents, you know, because we have folks that come in that, you know, really have, you know, nothing sometimes. So, um, so we kind of accept those donations on behalf of our folks to be able to give those, uh, you know, new clients something that, that maybe they don't have. So Mahatma Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see in the yeah. world. Yeah. So I applaud you. I applaud Art Manor for attempting to make the world a better place, Mike. Thanks. And uh, as a disclaimer, Mike and I went through our uh, master's degree program together, which is one of the reasons why he and I have uh, clicked uh, over the years. And if you have any questions or comments, uh, particularly concerning this program, if you have any questions you want to direct to Mike or any, any thoughts about Art Manor, you can certainly contact our program, which our producer will let you know at the end. However, at the end of every podcast, we offer a free prescription, fruits, nuts, and vegetables, and unplug your television, and perhaps take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Forgive yourself, forgive another. Do a kindness for yourself, do a kindness for another. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste. please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.